Well, good morning. I am just so excited to be here. Thank you for braving the cold. Uh, that's brutal out there. That wind is, man, I walked out and just about couldn't feel my face. That was terrible. But uh, I'm, I'm so excited to be here, and I just want to share something real fast before we get started. Uh, last week on Facebook, we had over 200 people watch our service. Uh, that's amazing. So we're excited about that. And, and this week, I'm sure there's a lot watching. If you're watching on Facebook, everyone's set in the back half of the room because they didn't want to be seen, but they are there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited. Um, I'm excited about this series. I really think God's going to do something cool. Uh, and I, I really believe, as I was praying this morning and I was praying yesterday, I think that the enemy wants to keep you from hearing this series. And the enemy wants to keep you from the things that we're talking about in this series because I think that we're scaring him, okay? As we begin to take steps towards our victory, towards our victory in this battle, I believe that we're scaring the enemy. And he believes that he has a way to win. We've talked about he wants to lie to us. He wants to deceive us. He wants to create illusions to distract us from what God is doing. And as we begin to take steps towards our victory, he is getting scared. And so he's kicking it into overdrive. And so I believe in this next few weeks, uh, I think that we're going to see, I think we're going to see some hardship happen in our lives because I think the enemy is scared. And so he's trying to create distractions. He's trying to create things in your life to where you won't hear this, uh, which is why I think it's amazing that we have Facebook in the first place because there's going to be things that come up where we can't hear the sermon the day of. So I encourage you. Uh, if there's a week that you miss, watch it online. Um, the Lord really wants to speak to us and get us ready. Uh, and so I'm excited about it. I think that, like I said, I think this, this series is really going to change things. Um, so last week we introduced the series. It's called Armor. Uh, and we, we're basically looking into the armor of God and figuring out how is it relevant to us today. What does it look like for us to put on the armor of God Today, uh, we talked about the fact that we know there's an enemy out there, and we know that there's a war happening for our souls. We know that the enemy, our fight, again, is not with flesh and blood. Our fight is with him, and he's coming after us because he's scared, okay? <clears throat> and so we talked about how we have to prepare for war. We can't fight, and we definitely can't win if we're not ready, and so we're looking at the armor, figuring out how do we make ourselves ready for this fight. So this series is to teach us how to do that. It's to teach us how do we take steps towards our victory. And last week we talked about the belt of truth. We talked about how the belt of truth is the word of God. And when, when the enemy comes and says things, when the enemy comes and lies or deceives us or tries to create illusions, we run it under the light of God's word and that will determine what is true and what is not. We talked about how the Word is our standard for living. That when anything goes on in our life, whether it's, whether it's just you know, talking to a friend, whether it's voting, everything we have to run under the light of God's Word to determine what is Him and what is not. And this week, we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. If you're taking notes, today is on the breastplate of righteousness. We're going to be in two separate passages, 2 Corinthians 5 uh, and Luke chapter 15. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, 
we're talking about the armor of God, and it says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So this one, and all of the armor, we talked a little bit about last week, they're all connected, okay? So you have to have one. You can't just operate in one. You need to be using the others to enhance your fight. And so this one, we're going to see a direct correlation with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. I think that righteousness in today's world is we really don't know what it means. You know, we say that we're aiming for righteousness. I'm aiming for it. But I think that the definition that we usually stick to might be a little bit misconstrued. And so we're going to dig into that today. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I shared a little bit of my story. I'm going to share a little bit more today. Um, When I was in high school, I was a mess. Uh, I was a pastor's kid. I am a pastor's kid. Uh, And there's generally two assumptions about pastor's kids. Uh, There's one assumption that pastor's kids are like crazy world changers, that they go out and they reach the nations, that they go out and people are like coming to know Jesus like crazy just from looking at them and stuff. And, you know, all this crazy stuff is happening with this pastor's kid. And there's this pastor's kid that's out smoking pot on the weekends and run away from Jesus. And there's, there's these two assumptions, and I sort of fell right in the middle of them because of how much deceit I was able to walk in. And so I did all the right things. I was, I was traveling a lot. Even, I, mean, I went on my first mission trip when I was eight. Uh, and so I traveled a lot when I was younger. I was always in the church. I was born on the pew, all these different things. And then, at the same time, all this other stuff was going on behind closed doors. I was involved in every kind of sin. I was doing all the things I shouldn't be doing, but everyone thought that I was doing what I should be doing. It was a mess. I was completely torn. I was literally two different people, and that, that was just deceit. But let me tell you what. Sin always gets caught. It will always get caught. You may think it doesn't. But it, it always happens. And I knew that sin always got caught, and yet I was ignorant enough to keep doing it. And so I kept on sinning, kept on sinning. I would get that phone call from, oh, Randy Turner. Okay, I would go up to his office. We would sit. We would talk. I would cry. I would tell him I was going to change my ways. I would walk out the doors and keep doing them. And it just kept happening over and over again. I would sin. I would always get caught. I would always feel bad. I would say I was going to change, and I wouldn't. And my parents continually pushed me. Landon, we love you. Landon, we love you so much. Landon, you're worth it, but you need to change something. Landon, you're worth it, you need to change something. They stood by me the whole time. I lost so many things. I lost all of my relationships. I lost a lot of, like, physical, tangible things. I lost opportunities. I lost all of this stuff because I was so caught in sin. But two people I didn't lose were my parents. My parents, every time, would hug me. They would, you know, my mom, she would, like, squeeze me like you couldn't breathe. Like, oh, Bobby. But we would, she would hug me. They would always tell me how loved I am. And they, that, was, that, was, that was their response. They would tell me something needed to change, but it wasn't ever an angry response. It was a loving response. Let me tell you what. My actions did not warrant that loving response. The actions, the things I was doing did not warrant a loving response from my parents. They gave it because they were my parents, not because I deserved it, okay? And I think that this (coughs) 
is a, is a common misconception with the idea of righteousness. Uh, so today, again, we're going to delve into what that looks like. And I genuinely believe that today there's going to be some freedom that happens with some wrong thoughts that, that we're having. Uh, myself included. This is something that I'm still learning, still walking in. We're all in process. And so this is something that I'm still learning, still trying to walk in, and I believe that the Lord wants to set some people free. Uh, this is kind of the idea between religion to God and relationship with God. Okay, religion and relationship. Neither one is bad, but one is going to keep you focused on your acts and one is going to be keeping you focused on the relationship that you have with Jesus. See, religion, what religion says is that you have to do all of these things in order to make yourself good with God. You have to do all the right things in order to be in relationship with God. You have to come to church more than anybody else. You have to read more than anybody else. You have to sing louder than anybody else. You have to do all these things. And once you've done them, that's when you can be good with God. On the contrary, relationship says this, because you are in relationship with God, you get to do these things. Because God is your father and you are his son or daughter, you get to do these things in order to draw closer. You don't have to do the things in order to be close with him. You get to because you already are close with him. Okay, so this is kind of the difference. This is something we're going to talk about. You get to be in relationship with God because of what he did for you, not because of what you did for him. Okay, what we do, if we're going to look at our acts, what we do can never be enough. He is all perfect and all powerful. What we do can never be enough. It is all about what he has done for us. And this all ties into the breastplate. Let's turn to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Let's stop there just real quick. Already this story is interesting because the younger son in this story looks at his dad and he says, hey, I want everything that I'm supposed to get when you die. His father is still alive and he's telling him he wants all the things. He is effectively looking at his father and saying, I would rather you be dead so that I can get all of my stuff. I may have done a lot of wrong things in my life. I've never looked at my dad and said that, okay? This is already an extreme version of rebellion. He's looking at his dad. Dad, I wish you were dead. I want your things. Let's keep going. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He, he longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have, have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. So at this point, he's laying in a pig pen. This, is, this story has turned. He had a lot of money, had a lot of things, ends up laying with pigs. And he's sitting there and he's looking at these pigs who are eating, and he's like, that's disgusting that I want to eat that right now. I am so hungry, I want to eat that. 
something's wrong. And so he begins to practice these lines that he's going to say to his dad. Can you imagine the walk home? He's, has, he's walking home to his, his house, and he's sitting and practicing. Oh, the anxiety that you would feel. Oh, the, how is my dad going to respond? In this day and age, if this had happened, we have to realize this, this is a story. Jesus is telling a story. But if this had happened, the son would have been stoned. They would have taken him to the city and stoned him in front of everybody. Okay, so this is a terrifying walk that he's having. And he's walking, and he's thinking, okay, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. And he keeps practicing. Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And he keeps practicing, and he keeps practicing in, in preparation for seeing his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I think it's interesting that it says while he was still a long ways off. That means the father's out looking for his son. You don't see something a long ways off unless you're looking for it. The father wasn't just casually like gardening or something like, and then looks out and he's like, oh, that's my son. No, the father's sitting on his front porch looking. He's thinking, where is my son? And then he runs up to him and he kisses him. Also, running in this day and age, men, especially older men, are viewed with such respect. And so for him to pull up his little, you know, skirt things that they wear and start running, he would have lost all respect. Everything would have been gone immediately. And he risked it all, not because the son deserved it. His actions did not warrant that kind of response from his dad. He did it because it was his son, not because he deserved it. He didn't deserve it. He the opposite of deserved it. But he did it anyways because it was his son. It was not about his actions. It was about his identity. This is a very important concept when it comes to the idea of righteousness. This is one that I think we've kind of lost in our aim to do all the right things. See, righteousness, we're going to define it as a standard of living in order to be in good relationship with God. That's how we're going to define it. It's partnering with the belts of truth, the word of God, to know how you're supposed to live, to know what you're supposed to do in order to be good with God. So the opposite of that, unrighteousness, is not living up to the standards that God sets forth in the Bible. However, I'm not sure if you've read through the entire Bible and seen all the things that we are are and are not supposed to do. There's a billion. There is so many things that you are and that you're not supposed to do. For example, the Bible says that we are to honor the law of the land. How many of you have ever sped in your entire life when you were driving? Hmm? No one? Not one? No one. Jim, Jim just did the little side like he didn't want anybody to see. No. Okay, there. We all, we're all sinners. Right there. By speeding. That's very sad. I mean, like I was speeding. While I was praying about this message, I was speeding. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> this is bad. But we recognize that we cannot possibly do all of these things because we are human. The Bible also says that God looks at the intentions behind the heart. So even if you've done all the right things, but you've ever done it for the wrong reason, it's the wrong thing. 
Okay, so we recognize that this standard we cannot possibly reach by our actions. And unrighteousness is what opens the door to let the enemy come in. We talked a couple of weeks ago about Job. We talked about how Job had a little bit of pride and how the enemy then could come in and mess with him. Unrighteousness is what opens the door. So here's, what's, here's where we're going to kind of get confused. Because we see that we're supposed to put on every day this breastplate of righteousness, which is completely unattainable if we're viewing it from our actions. If we're viewing it from the things that we do, we cannot possibly ever be righteous enough. We can't. We just raised our hands, except for Jim, about we've all sped. That means we've already failed at meeting the standard. (coughs) And again, the Bible says that every single person has sinned. And so we're supposed to put on this breastplate. We can't do it. Now, let me tell you what. This breastplate is a very, very important piece of armor. When you think back to actual Roman soldiers, what they would have been referring to, the breastplate covered the most important organs that you have. Most importantly, your heart. Everything that you do, both physically, spiritually, emotionally, all of it, everything comes from your heart. So physically, if your heart's not beating, you're dead. Spiritually, if your heart is not beating, you're dead. It is the most important piece because we've got to cover the heart. But we're sitting and saying we can't possibly, if we're defining righteousness by our actions, wear the breastplate of righteousness. Everything in our life flows through the heart. Every decision that you make, every thought that you have, every dream, everything is possible because your heart is beating. So we have to be able to protect it. But if defining it as our actions makes it to where we can't possibly wear the breastplate, then why would it be in the Bible that we need to wear the breastplate? There's something different. We have to look at it from a different angle. I want us to go back to the story of the prodigal son. The father came after the boy, not because of what he did, but because of who he was and whose he was. That's my son. That's my son. I'm coming after you. Not because he deserved it, but because it's who he was. My parents, my parents stuck by me through some mess. The story in the Bible is a story. Jesus is telling a parable. My story was real. I was a mess. But my parents kept coming after me, kept loving me, kept hugging me. Not because I deserved it, but because it's who I was. (coughs) In the same way, I believe that our actions do not determine our righteousness. Our identity determines our righteousness. And I'm going to show you why. Now we're going to go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians verse, I mean chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to say it again. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, this is where we need to focus when it comes to righteousness. 
God took all the sin away by sending Christ. Okay, so God's sitting up in heaven and he's thinking, oh my goodness, they're making all the wrong decisions because that's what we do. That's in our nature to make the wrong decisions. And God's looking at him, he's thinking, oh my goodness, they are doing literally everything possibly wrong. But he says, Jesus, I'm going to send you so that you can take all their sin because that's not who they are. They are made to be righteous. And so Jesus hung on the cross, and we think that the most painful thing was that he had nails in his body. No, the most painful thing is that he took every possible sin. He took it so that there's none left to distribute between us. He literally took it away so that he was then the one that was bearing the unrighteousness. And we were the ones that could walk in righteousness. It is not about our actions. It's about who he made us to be. (coughs) So Christ died. Our sin is now gone, which means that righteousness is not something that we're aiming for. It's who we are. Righteousness is not something that I have to take all these certain steps. And once I take these steps, then I can be good with God. No. Righteousness is Because I am a child of God, because I profess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, I am righteous. Now, the problem is, the problem is that we're still human. So we're going to sin. But that does not mean that we are sinners. See, there's the the phrase that's going around. A lot of people have it like on Facebook, like as their bio, I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's actually not a biblical concept. What the Bible says is that you are not a sinner, you are a saint. You're a saint who is continually being sanctified by grace. We are not sinners. We get to walk with God's grace in our sanctification process. I'm a righteous person who sometimes sins. It's about your identity. It's not about your actions. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you don't do. It's about the fact that Jesus loves you enough to take away your sin and make you righteous. Again, this does not give an excuse to sin. I think when I was first reading this and I was first kind of studying this, I was thinking, wow, that's awesome. I can do whatever the heck I want to do. I'm still righteous. What up? No, that's not what it is. (laughs) That's not what it is. It's not an excuse to sin because sin actually shows that there is an identity problem that you're walking in. Sin shows that you don't fully understand who you are and whose you are. How many of you know that when you believe something, it begins to affect the way that you live? Right? When you begin to believe something, it affects the way that you live. That's true. Even Take away all spiritual aspects of this. That's true. If I believe something is good, I'm going to live that out. So if I believe inherently that I am a sinner, I'm going to sin. It's going to show. But if I begin to believe that my identity is righteous, sin will not completely, will not completely disappear because we are human. But you will see a difference. You will see the sin that you're living in lower. You'll begin to see that the sinful thoughts that you have, the sinful nature will not begin to come out as much as it used to. Your life will begin to change because of what you believe. 
The Bible says also that faith without works is dead. What that means is that our works have to back up what our faith is. And so when you're living in sin, it shows not that you are a sinner, but that you are confused about your identity. Again, not an excuse to sin. It's not an excuse to sin. Sin is unrighteous. But when we sin, we do not become unrighteous. We're just a righteous person who needs to remind ourselves that we are righteous. When you live a lifestyle that's full of sin, it shows that you have a wrong belief. And when you begin to truly believe in your identity as sons and daughters, as the righteousness of Christ, your actions will begin to line up with that. The problem is, is that we always view ourselves as sinners instead of viewing ourselves as saints who were saved by grace. True change does not happen from the outside in. You cannot do enough things to change your heart. You cannot not do enough things to change your heart. You can't not sin enough and hope that that's going to change your heart. It won't happen. You can't come to church more than anybody else, sing the right songs, sing louder, you know, watch sermons on YouTube. You can't do all those things and expect it to change your heart because it won't. Your heart will change everything. It's not outside in, it's inside out. And when you continually walk in your identity, when you believe it, when you speak it to yourself, when you can convince yourself of the truth, that's when everything begins to change. The truth will sink in and the truth sets us free. This means that wearing the breastplate has to become an identity thing where we are continually reminding ourselves and continually walking in our identity as righteousness. We have to begin to meditate on the truth of God's word. Meditate on the belt of truth and what it says about your life and what it says about who you are. And when you begin to really and truly believe in your heart that you are made righteous, what do we say about your heart? Everything flows through it. Everything pumps through it. And so when you can convince your heart that you're already made righteous, you're not striving to live up to righteousness. You already are righteous. And when that happens, everything that pumps from your heart is going to be righteous. It's going to affect your actions. It's going to affect the way that you live, the way that you think. But it starts in here. You can't not do enough and then expect your heart to change. You've got to change your heart. <laughs> so the breastplate is essentially about protecting your identity. The quickest way for the enemy, the enemy to get you is to lie to you about your identity. And one of the easiest ways is to tell you that you're a sinner. We will sin. We are not sinners. Christ took all of that away. And so by saying that you're a sinner, by saying, I'm taking my sin back, Lord, we're just slapping him square in the face. It's just, hey, thanks for the sacrifice. I'm not going to take it. But he already took it. He took it so that we don't have to walk as sinners. We can walk as righteous ones. So the breastplate is about protecting our identity. We have to remind ourselves when we wear the breastplate, we're reminding ourselves of our identity. 
We're reminding ourselves of who we are and whose we are so that the enemy can't come in and lie to us about it. The enemy wants your heart because everything comes from the heart, which is why we have to protect it by reminding ourselves the truth of our identity. I believe today that the Lord really wants to free some of these thoughts about identity. I know that for a long time, I said, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And then Jesus said, Landon, I took your sin so you don't have to be a sinner anymore. I took your sin so you can say you're a saint that's continually sanctified by grace. I'm a saint who sins. You're a saint who sins if you profess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You're a saint that sins. You're a righteous one that sometimes sins and is still working towards sanctification. We won't ever not sin until we're standing in heaven. That's when sin is gone. But until then, that doesn't mean that we have to walk as sinners. It means that we have to begin to believe and trust and know that God died, Jesus died, so that we could be righteous. So I believe that today the Lord really wants to free some of those thoughts, uh, some of these identity problems. Uh, We are sons and daughters of Christ. He's sitting. He's sitting on the front porch looking, not because we deserve it, but because our identity as his sons and his daughters makes us righteous. And he's so in love with you. He's so in love with you, not because you deserve it, but because you're his. The truth is what sets us free. And the enemy is scared of the truth. He's scared of letting you know that you're not a sinner, you're a saint. You're a saint who's in process. And so today, as we begin to close, I just want you, I want to challenge you to to look at your life. Look at situations, look at times that you're allowing the enemy to come in and lie to you about your identity. And I want us to pray, and I want us to be firm in our prayers. Enemy, you have no place to lie to me about my identity. I know who I am because we're made righteous. And when we begin to believe deep down in our heart that we're righteous, it will begin to affect everything about the way that we live. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. We are so thankful that you died so that we can be free, that you died so that we don't have to live in sin anymore, but we can live and walk as righteousness, as your righteousness. God, I pray against any, any identity problems that we might have, any, any negative thoughts, any lies that we might have about who we are. I thank you that you've set us free, and you've set us free so that we can live as righteousness. I pray this week, Lord, that you would remind us of the truth of your word, that you would remind us that your truth says that we are your sons and daughters and we are righteous. In Jesus' name, amen.